Welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. I am your host, Sam Valentine, bringing you episode six of season six. We did not have an episode last week because, honestly, I was hoping that all of you were out at a protest or staying at home and listening to an educational podcast about systemic racism or watching a movie that you did not know with black actors you've never seen before or taking time to educate yourselves because that's what I was doing, one of the above. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, and I think we as actors have a special place in this work because we are human emotion on screen, and I am so proud of so many actors for taking the time to reach out and chat with me about how it feels to be a creative in this time, and it's been really fucking hard, and I'm white, so what the fuck do I know, right? Like, I have, dear God, so much to learn and so many places to grow, and I'm just promising you guys right now that this podcast is one of the places that I and hopefully others will grow from. I promise to bring you more representational episodes across the board of all different types of actors and casting directors and 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 directors and writers and and we are going to mix it up i obviously have not done enough yet um and i don't know if i'll ever do enough but uh you got to start somewhere right um we're working we're improving we're trying our best we have so much fucking work to do you guys and I almost skipped a lot of this in the intro, but I think it's really important that you hear it from your fellow actress that we represent a very, very important part of the world because we represent human experience. And if you are not out there right now educating yourself and confronting a lot of terrible shit that you are unknowingly a part of, or that you have experienced in your life, you got to do the work, guys. Our life is human experience. Our job is human experience. And we have a lot to take on. So with that being said, today's podcast was recorded before George Floyd's death. It was recorded before protests broke out. Obviously, we are still in a pandemic, but there is still a lot of this podcast that I think is very vital, and I think you are going to really enjoy it. Eddie Lou is phenomenal. In a few minutes, I'm going to play the intro I recorded a few weeks ago, which has a much more positive-sounding me in it, but um, I just want to thank you guys for being a part of this community. I want to thank you for listening to my voice in a time where there's a lot of things you could be listening to. And uh, I want to push you to confront hard things and to help other people in this process. We have, a, <laughs> we have an obligation to feel things other people might be too afraid to feel. We have an obligation to speak up in ways that other people might be too scared to speak up. The time is freaking now. All right, let's do this. On today's episode, we have the one, the only, Eddie Liu. Eddie hails all the way from New York, and he originally went to school for PR, and yet somehow he ended up in L.A. booking Netflix movies like Never Have I Ever or this new pilot, you might have heard of it, called Kung Fu for the CW. <laughs> Today, Eddie takes us on his whole journey from how he got there from his first-generation 
Chinese-American family to where he is now, how he got there, the coaches and classes that helped him along the way, how he created his own practice, how he got his reps, how he got his first pilot auditions. We go through all of it. Eddie also talks to us about what it is like to book a pilot, start filming it, and then for it to end because of the pandemic. He was in Vancouver for two weeks shooting Kung Fu, and they got shut down after just a couple days of shooting when this all started. So he's going to take us through finding out that it got shut down, finding out that it got picked up anyway, and what he's been doing in the meantime to get ready for when things do come back on. I think you're going to leave this podcast incredibly motivated and excited, not just for your career, but to watch Eddie in the future. Guys, without further ado, please enjoy Eddie Liu. We are recording. Eddie, hi. Hi, Sam. Um, I was trying to remember how we met, and I was it through Sarah Mornell? I think it was, yeah. Okay. Um, I, well, I'm not exactly sure either. It must have been the our little Facebook group for all of her students. Yeah. Were we ever in – did you, you take took class at her house? I Not um, like when she would be in L.A., like after mm-hmm. she left L.A. and then came back. I've done her intensive a couple times. I don't think we met there. I kind of feel like we just met digitally. Yeah. And then we're like internet friends, and then now we have the face-to-face <laughs> connection, which is cool. Now we're still internet friends, technically. We're still, well, yeah, that's true, that's true, because of quarantine. <laughs> no kidding. Um, so what uh, what have you been up to on, like, day-to-day since this all kind of started? We'll get into, like, all your big, exciting stuff. <laughs> um, day-to-day, I, I, I cannot pretend to boast that it's been super, super exciting. Like, I okay, so uh, – Avatar The Last Airbender just dropped on Netflix, so I've been re-watching that, and it has actually brought, like, joy to my life just because there's a lot of things I forgot the first time through, and it's, like, on this, for those who don't know, it's an animated show. It looks like a kid's show, but it's so mature, and it's so full of all these amazing things and storytelling that I recommend it to everybody. So I'm like, okay, I could be doing my taxes and things like that, but I'm also going to give myself reprieve and give myself that emotional cookie and... uh you know, just enjoy that stuff. But also I think, you know, when, when the lockdown happened, I think I was, I had to just accept that like, yes, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm depressed for all of us. And I let myself have my sad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then now I, I feel like I'm in a better place, which is granted. There's a lot of reasons why I can say I'm in a better place, but yeah. <laughs> exterior factors, but I, the, the truth is I'm in a better place now. I feel like I've got my sea legs. I keep saying that. Like, I feel like I've kind of figured out what to do with this time yeah it's not like effective necessarily <laughs> but I feel better that's all that matters that's yeah do you watch tv yeah. during the day I'm always curious how people watch tv I like don't watch a lot of daytime television recently it's I have hardly watched any tv during the day because I have my list of things I got to do and I wake up at whatever time I wake up it depends on the day <laughs> I have my list. I say, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden the sun is going down and I've done almost jack shit. And then I'm like, and, and not only did I not get my stuff done, I didn't even waste time as productively as I wanted. Like I didn't even watch stuff. Right. So right, basically right. I've been unproductive in wasting time. I've been unproductive in being productive. That's, <laughs> that's the God's honest truth. Exactly what you mean. I keep like making a list around like my dogs get me up by seven, no matter what. And so around, I'll make a list between like seven and nine and then I'll like do something. And then all of a sudden it's three thirty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my TV watching is when I make breakfast, which uh-huh. is sometimes at 
nine, sometimes at one. And then I don't watch, I don't like really allow myself to sit and watch TV until like the PM, like when the, after the sun has gone down and I've given up on, or I, when I say like, okay, I've done enough today and I can just cut back and watch TV. Hit the off switch. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to have. Yeah. Um, so I know that you came here from New York. Mm-hmm. How many years ago was that? It has now been uh, six and a half years since I came wow. from New York and okay, jumped sorry. across the pond. That, that's a joke, people. I know it's not really across the pond. <laughs> Now is a really good time to be in LA as opposed to New York. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we uh, a little more space for sure. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, so I know your background a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but will you give our listeners like a little background of how you came into acting? Because I know that it wasn't necessarily what you were originally going to school for, right? You went to school for PR. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Yep, I majored in public relations. Um, I. Decided that somewhere around sophomore year, because uh, I talked to some communications professors and they were like, you have the gift of gab, you have a people personality and you don't belong in a cubicle. And I was like, yes, I agreed to all of that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a point I thought I wanted to be a guidance counselor. Growing up as a kid, I, family, friends, like we talked to so-and-so successful son-in-law who was like the VP at MasterCard and he was like the youngest VP on the East Coast. And like, I asked him and like, what did he do to secure a great career? And he's like, well, I studied finance and stuff. So then it, the word finance locked in my brain as like a 14 year old. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And I didn't know what the hell it was. Didn't know. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. I don't, by the way, I had a, a conversation with uh, um, the finance chair at my college when I was like briefly contemplating it. Just so you know, it's finance. What? It's not finance. It's finance. That's how you, <laughs> that's no. how you pronounce it. Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, oh, it's finance. So that was. I was like, I'm very out of my depth, not just in this conversation, talking to like a smart adult, but like also like I have no interest in finance. So um, I kept exploring and uh, freshman year, somebody referred me to audition for a play mm-hmm. and they needed Asian actors. At that point, I had been contemplating acting. And um, how did they think of you as an act like to do that? It's just because they knew you were like a very friendly person. They thought you were outgoing because if acting wasn't something you were doing, why did they think of you? I think, okay, so it was my sociology professor and like, you know how sometimes when you're young and you're, especially in college and you're absorbing things and then you hear like a key SAT word that I like defines your whole being for like a few semesters, like a few years. Mine was authenticity. And we talked about being, how to be authentic to yourself and what is it to be authentic to yourself? And that's when I started to have this inner turmoil of like, oh my God, I don't think I want to study something concrete like finance or education. Like, I think I want to pursue something creative. And so there was like that internal struggle of like, how do I honor myself, but also make sure I can pay my bills after college. Um, so then I talk, had this conversation with my sociology professor and then she asked me, she's like, well, what do you think? How do you think you'd be authentic to yourself? And I was like, I think I want to be an act. So like there was like, I laid down the inkling of, I think I want to act. Mm-hmm. And so her colleague in a different department was like, oh, they're looking for Asian actors. And you mentioned this. So let's, can I refer you? I was like, yeah, sure. So I auditioned that's and that's, that was my first ever play that's like my first step towards formal acting wow so all the way in college that's awesome yeah yeah although I did pretend to be a power ranger in my living room as a five-year-old like seeing action stuff blew my mind like I loved (laughs) that was that was the first time I dared to dream of anything in entertainment as a a child I mean we all have that crazy thought like hey I want to be an astronaut I want to be an actor I want to be a race car driver so like for me I've fantasized about it and then I like then as a teenager or like college kid I started to 
wander towards that or stumble towards that. So when you started being interested in acting, was your family supportive of that? Um, yes, because it wasn't such a bold, drastic life change. It was still very part-time, very much a hobby. Like somebody referred us to these local acting classes in our area where we grew up and at the time it was just like acting classes for kids and this place advertised themselves as like on the we'd hear uh commercials on the radio radio like do you want your kid to be in the next disney channel star and so of course some people jumped at that and some kids jumped at that that's not what appealed to me it was just i didn't even hear those ads yet when somebody said hey why don't you try this so i thought i can act on the side for fun i can audition on the side make some money study whatever the hell I'm going to do in college. And then if I want to pursue it later on, I can. And my parents were totally cool with that. They're like, you can make some side dough and get a proper degree in the meantime. I was like, that sounds great. No, there was no argument from anybody there. Okay. But then the, the interesting conversation was when I decided, yes, this is what I want to do full time. And then there was some apprehension (laughs) and there was a little worry there. Yeah. Well, not so much in the finance world. So how did you get to that point? Did you, were you doing plays and stuff? And then you realized that this is actually what I want to do. I want to not get a degree in PR. I had been auditioning a lot, not a lot, but a little bit, um, mostly commercial auditions. That was all I could get. Like I actually had a talent manager from age, from the age of 18 through college. And she would send me to these things and I would take the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan in between classes. I think I only ever missed one, maybe two classes for an audition. Like I really try to draw a hard line for myself and not blow my classes uh, uh, for auditions. Like I really wanted to keep that delineation and not screw that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would book like local commercials. And then I think the realization came late night on a PC Richards commercial, which is a local electronics appliance retailer in the Northeast region. I don't know if we have them out here in the West coast, but uh, I was on set. I was under hot lights. I was just goofing around, like quoting, forgetting Sarah Marshall with my castmates. And uh, that I, I, I paused and I kind of realized I was like, I am having a fucking ball. I am having such a great time here on set at one in the morning. Cause in a store you can't shoot during business hours. You have to shoot in the middle of the night when the oh, store is wow. closed. Yeah, I mean, we do that with Best Buy and Target stuff here as, uh, in in all kinds of production, uh, commercial productions anyway. But, like, yeah, I, that's I, that was, like, two weeks before college graduation. And then I had that realization. I was like, I am not happy doing the thing that I studied for. This is what I want to do. Oh, shit, now I have to tell my parents who paid for my education. <laughs> what fun that conversation is. Yeah. They understand. Do they? I mean, obviously, they understand now, but. They, they get it now. Um, my mom met, met it with open arms. Uh, uh, I have this not super PC joke of saying for an Asian, it's like coming out saying that you want to be an actor. Um, it's usually funnier when I, when I say that to other people. Um, I, I, and I say that because everyone knows about the stereotype of Asian parents not wanting their kids to be actors, you know, right. and, um, I, I, my mom was super supportive of it. My dad was very, um, he was worried and I, it took me a while to take a step back and realize, oh, it's not so much that he's showing a lack of approval or he doesn't support me. It's it's more so that he's just worried because from the from yeah. years ago he was like he he would say Eddie they don't they don't cast Asian people. I was like yeah don't worry dad it's changing it's changing and I was saying this like 12, 14 years ago slowly but surely and we didn't knock down walls until later on but like i had heard people saying back then hey eddie now's a great time to get in you're an asian actor your time is coming and that took 
I couldn't see that for years, but I just believed it. And I saw, I did see inklings of that change. So that's why it was a lot of commercial auditions. Were, uh, you're, are you, are you first generation? I was born, yeah, I was born and raised in, I was born in Queens and then grew up in Long Island, New York. Okay. Yeah. And so you're, so that probably, I mean, there's probably a lot of cultural elements to that as well from your parents. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, and, and, and it's not so much that they wanted me to like be a doctor or a lawyer they just wanted me to be secure and well and secure you know like any other parent and that, uh, up to a certain point my parents like our culture wasn't so uh at the it wasn't so much at the forefront it was just a parent's concern for their kids well-being yeah you know and then so then I would get jobs and then my dad would be like oh congratulations you did this this is great but like what are you going to do in between and I'd be like god damn it dad he's so right what am I going to do in between and, you know because you know how long it takes in between jobs sometimes it's yeah very so long. what did was that when you initially decided to move to LA um I think did I decided to move to LA in, yeah I I went to school and acting school in New York and then LA was like in the back of my mind and I was like let me keep that in the back burner. I finished the acting program and then I thought, okay, everyone says that there's more opportunity, especially for TV and film as the general assumption goes. And uh, I was like, let me try LA because if it sucks, if it goes horribly, if I don't like it, I can always come back to New York. Yeah. New York will always be there. So I, I took the leap and that was, yeah, six and a half years ago. Oof. What changed between New York and LA? Um, I think yes, while there there is generally more opportunity and more cat there are just more casting offices and just more projects shooting here uh uh by the numbers but i at the at the crux of it for me personally, I think I was more mature to meet the opportunities that came my way. I was just better. I grew up a little bit. I knew what the hell I was doing because looking back at some of those opportunities I had, I had a pilot audition when I was twenty one and it was just because I met. The head of uh, ABC Casting, Marcy Phillips in New York, I took a workshop with her. She was amazing. She was she's such a fantastic teacher, um, like like an acting teacher. Um, and she she gave me my first pilot audition for an ABC series, and I did not know what the hell I was doing. Looking back, <laughs> looking back, like the kind of stuff that the preparation I was doing was almost none. I didn't know how to prepare. You know, didn't know what it took. I still think that I'm still learning that, like what my personal process is, because I feel as though every time you go to a different acting coach or teacher, especially if you came out of school, learning to prepare for an audition, you don't really get taught how to make your own personal practice. Yeah. Like some people don't like to memorize. Some people like to like feel it in their bones and do it. Like, you know, everyone has like their own way of doing it. And I think I spent years trying to do everyone else's work and not my own. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't even good at doing other people's preparation. I, I didn't know what other people's preparation looked like because I wasn't trained yet. Yeah. Well, and no one was talking about it, right? Like we didn't have no. podcasts. We didn't have people openly. Like I feel like only in the past couple of years have actors really come out and been like, hi, I'm not famous yet, but here's what I'm into, you know? Cause I feel like yeah. for a while it was only people who were like the Tom Hanks and the Sandra Bullock who were sharing their acting journey. That's right. And there's so much, uh, and I, you know, I, forgot to mention this before, but Sam, I'm, I'm such a fan of this podcast and yours like for, for years now. And I've learned so much. So like, and what I love about it is like you, you're absolutely right. You don't have to be a Tom Hanks to provide substantial knowledge on how to get going or how to navigate things. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, like the questions that you ask, it's not just like mindset in terms of like how tough is your brain, but like really like 
what the hell does this approach look like from the inside? And and that's, I feel like with the advent of podcasts and technology, like, thank goodness we have this now Yeah, for people it, like so us. Nice. No, that, thank you. That means so much, first of all. Um, and I just think it's so like to be able to talk to you about like, I didn't know how to prep for a pilot audition, but I went on it anyway. Like that's so nice to hear. Yeah. I, I, the way, I mean, I was so green and bless Marcy's heart. Like she, she, I, I, I think, I think she, of course she knew what she was dealing with. She knew what she had in her hands, but she gave me the opportunity anyway. And, um, and then fast forward. And then now I think a lot of it has been refining my approach and seeing what works for me and finding my groove and my flow. And I think that's what's made the difference between New York Eddie and LA Eddie. Yeah. It's just substantial time in the lab and working on it. Yeah. You really just have to put in the hours, man. I, that's, that's why it. I feel like I'm learning. When you came to LA, did you seek out classes or coaches or anything like that? Like how did you get your feet wet in the Los Angeles market? I did not immediately seek coaches or classes. I was a little arrogant and I was also a little burnt out because I had gone through a rigorous program uh, in New York and I loved every minute of it. And I felt like I was just a little bit classed out for, I was like, I just need a break. I just need I a little bit of break. I just need, very popular answer. Yeah. I was like, I need a little bit of time to just find, see some real world situations and scenarios. And then, uh, and then my manager was like, uh, Eddie, I think you need to get, need to get back in class. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I forgot that you could, that that's a thing. Yeah, you're right. And I, <laughs> I became ignorant to the, um, I became naive and foolish about my own education. And then <laughs> I found a class. <laughs> did you have a manager when you got here? I did. I was still with my manager in New York. And then I just, um, I saw that there was a little bit of disconnect. I was like, I think I can, I think I need to find somebody who is based here and bless her heart that, you know, manager in New York, she was very understanding. I wrote her, I was like, Hey, I just, you know, I think I would like to find representation in New York. Um, and she was, she was like, yeah, cool. No worries. Um, so then I, um, I was doing the casting director circuit here, mm-hmm. casting director workshop circuit here, uh, back before it became a, a pariah. Um, yeah, I was going to say six years ago was a prime time to be. It was a, it was a different time. It was just a different <laughs> time. No judgments either way. I, I personally, for, I understand that for some people, they, they, they need that to meet people. That's what I was doing. I, I was hitting that circuit real hard. Um, and then I happened to naturally exit out of that class circuit just because I started to get more auditions that I didn't feel the need to want to keep jumping into the workshop circuit. So a friend recommended me there and then recommended me to her manager. And that's what I've been with for like five plus years now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 She's, she's, she's amazing. So yeah. What, what has kept you in a long-term relationship with your manager? Because that's something I feel like a lot of actors are working on. And I talked to a lot of actors who have jumped from rep to rep. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's a good or bad thing. I've done both. Yeah, that's um, just reality. What, that's okay. Yeah, what's kept you? What's what's the good communication look like between you guys? I think, I think it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Like she recognized something in me, I recognize something in her, and then we just keep feeding off of that. And I think what that thing was. I mean, we, she and I have talked openly about this, and because sometimes you know, like I'll hear someone mention like, yeah, somebody submitted to me, and she doesn't have any, whatever, like her materials are not in order. Hmm. And I said to her, well, I didn't have jack shit when you met me, but you were happy to sign me. And she's like, yeah, you're right. And, and then she said, yeah, but you had a sparkle in your eye. And like, I was like, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, it's case by case, not, okay. So I think this is a, a, a thing that I've noticed in for, across the board for all kinds of industry scenarios, whether you are beginner or pro or veteran or what have you, whether it's a micro 
issue or a macro issue. Um, what I mean is we all get bits of advice along the way in our journey. However, not all advice is applicable 100% of the time. It's not, not all advice is all, uh, one size fits all. Sometimes something will apply to you this time, then something changes or you go along the process and then it doesn't apply to you anymore. Or you'll get some piece of advice and you're not ready to take that advice yet because of your current circumstances. And that's okay. But we fail to recognize that. And so, for example, if I get a veteran's advice and I'm a, and I'm green, I'm going to feel inadequate. I'm going to feel like there's something I did wrong. Um, and then catch it the flip side. Some veteran will hear newbie advice and be like, well, that doesn't address my current problem. I'm dealing with like a veteran actor of over 10 years. That's my issue right now. You're giving me advice that is not applicable to that. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, uh, but back to your question about communication. Yeah. Communicate, be open, be honest, listen to what your manager tells you. If you have a genuine conflict about following that advice, mm-hmm. I think you can, you should be open about it because it's your career. Um, yeah. but I also recognize that I kind of lucked out with just having a manager who is just there and open and willing to be there and she sees that I'm willing to put in the work. I mean, there were times that I didn't put in the work and then she'd yeah. have a real talk with like, Eddie, I, you need to do this. And then I, I had that wake up call and thank That's you. That's good. Didn't just, but I didn't squander her, her guidance. I didn't just push it off and keep kicking the can down. I mean, I might've done it a couple of times, but then I eventually listened and then so eventually worked. Was your manager the person who helped get you your first agents in LA? She wasn't. I, I, um, the agent thing for me, all right, so it appears that looking back on my career, there's a lot of things that I do did that came out of like luck and happenstance where I was in the right place at the right time. I so, that. and so my advice or my thing is not, this isn't my advice. This is just what happened. What the hell happened to me? Yeah, um, that's what I want to hear. I want stories. I want yeah, to yeah. how people got to where they are. Yeah. Um, so I had never had a theatrical agent until only like three years ago. Like I had, so I had been attacking the business for at least like what, five, six, seven years without an agent. I had a manager, I had the manager in New York. Then I had the one in LA, never had a manager. I never had an agent except for my commercial agent who I met when I got to LA. And that was because they saw my castmate in a play and my castmate, like I was in that play with them. And then, so they loved me and they wanted to sign me. So that's how I got the commercial agent. And that was, that was, that was great. That was like, Hey people, LA theater is not useless and it's not for nothing. It actually, People do recognize talent in theater. So I, I know people love to poo-poo on LA theater, but there are great actors doing great work in theater. You just have to seek it out and you have to give it a chance. Yeah. Um, uh, but the theatrical rep, I had this conversation with my agent. Um, well, we started with my manager and she was just like, let's, let's not worry too hard about it. She's like, Eddie, you are getting auditions. You are getting your co-star auditions and a few guest stars. Like, that's mm-hmm. great. Like, don't feel like you are lacking in opportunity. So then I was doing... Uh, I did a showcase, like a talent showcase where you pay money and then you perform. Mm-hmm. And then, so somebody met with me there. I had the meeting. They were a little volatile. I didn't like the energy in the room. I felt like they were yelling at me. Like I was a bad employee. Ooh. He literally kind of yelled, like he scolded me in, in the meeting. But they pulled, they brought you in for a meeting. From the showcase. Oh, so weird. He brought me in. Point, he was telling me how green I was and how I was lacking the right credits. I was lacking the right education and training and classes. Like I didn't have brand name teachers in LA. Why did they bring you in? I think he recognized my ethnicity and my look and my type and like my 
X factor quality of just who I am as an actor, like mm-hmm. ethnicity aside. And I think they put that together and they're like, okay, we have something that we can work with. He's just green. And if we can get him polished and more ready to be a series regular now, like we have a hot commodity on our hands. So I think is what I, th- I think you saw the potential there. I just wasn't, again, it's potential. It's not what I was. I wasn't there yet. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and then I could see him, he kind of like yelled at his assistant sitting in the room right there. And I just felt like this is not, this whole thing, I'm just feeling like I'm getting chewed up and spat out. Ultimately, they did not sign me, and I called my manager right away, and I said, I feel like shit, and I feel completely inadequate, and I don't feel – I feel very low right now. And she could she, she could hear how mad I felt about myself. She's like, Eddie, don't worry about it. You're gonna We're going to keep going the route we're going. You're, you are already getting auditions. We're going to wait for them to come knock on your door. Sound good? I said, yes. I love that. Thank you for not putting that pressure on me to have to find an agent right now. Yes. It's like, it's like saying, it's like saying to your best friend, you got to find a boyfriend right now. Right, right. What? What the fuck is that? Find the perfect relationship, like right now. I also love that you kind of circumvented it and you were doing well with just a manager. Because I think there is like a nasty rumor that like you have to have every member of a team to succeed. And I feel like you will start doing what you do best and then the team will fall into place. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, it, it, it's, it's very much like dating. It's kind of scary how parallel the entertainment world is to dating. And it's got to be the right fit. And you can have a great fit for X amount of time and then it ends and then you part ways. And like, it's very much like dating. Um, so then I ended up, uh, so we, we went on and this is without credits where she was like, don't worry about it. So she didn't add that pressure. I didn't add that pressure. And we agreed, Hey, we don't need this pressure. So that's what was so great about that. Um, again, what makes my manager so great. Um, and then I got into the ABC showcase and then my agents were there. They saw me perform in the ABC showcase. I didn't even leave the theater before they came up to me and told me how much they like, we, they're like, listen, we, we want to sign you. That's, that's the bottom line. And, um, and then I met with them. They let me meet with other agents. Awesome. I came, I circled back then. They came down to them and somebody else. And then, um, one was like a big name, like a three letter. And then one was mm-hmm. the other was these guys. And then I, I went with my heart. I went with everybody else's advice. They're like, listen, Eddie, for where you are and even for where you're, where, where we think you're going to be, we think you should be with these people. And uh, I'm still with them now. That's amazing. Yeah. So they came knocking on my door and because I let go of that extrinsic pressure. Mm, I love that. What made you pick them? Because I've been in a similar situation where I've picked between agents before and I've made good choices and I've made bad choices. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, I think I followed the advice of, of people I knew and trusted. Like I was talking to, because, I, because at this point when I had done the UC showcase, I had those relationships with the casting executives there and they had my back and I knew that they had my interest. So what they were like, Hey, if you need help shopping for agents, we know that you're shopping right now and meeting with people, feel free to ask us what we think about so-and-so. And I did. Awesome. And, and they said like, yeah, these people, they're going to work for you. They're going to bust their asses for you. And they represent caliber talent. And I looked at the roster. I was like, holy shit these names are on here mm-hmm. um and they run oh so i based my decision on a few factors like the size of the agency um not being uh starstruck by the bells and whistles of of a huge agency i was like okay i can go with the three letter but then i'll end up being just roster space and then i'm not going to book and then they're going to be frustrated and i'm going to be frustrated and i'm going to feel unworthy whereas my agents they made me feel welcome and valued from the get go now, anybody can do that in the beginning and then eventually make you not feel like that. But they, but they consistently, like, in my meeting with them, 
one of the things that caught my eye was one of my agents, Ethan, was like, um, we kind of see uh, an ideal career for our clients to be, for example, such as like doing a critical, critically acclaimed Netflix series for like 10 or 13 episodes, and then you're done, and then maybe you shoot like a film that you're really passionate about, and then you take some time off and unwind and travel. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Awesome. You are speaking my freaking language. Oh my God. Like you wow. actually value your clients' lives and personal well-being over the dollar? What what has happened? So that really resonated with me. And and then they said, like, listen, we're not gonna sell you down the river and make force you to sign a, a long-term soap opera deal if that's not something that you don't want to do. If you do want to do it, great. But if you don't, tell us, let us know. And so they'll always say like, Hey, what do you think about this project from the beginning? Even when I was in no position to make demands about what kind of stuff I want to audition for, but they were like, we, we, we recognize this in you. We're not going to put you in a box. We're not going to say, Oh, Eddie is a 20 something, 30 something year old Asian. And that's all this, the only stuff you can audition for. I've had fantastic kinds of auditions that I had no business booking because it went to the right people or the people with amazing resumes. But like yeah. they, they gave that, respect as an artist to me from the beginning. That's awesome. And I love that you got advice from the people who, from casting executives. So the people who actually have to work with agents on a day-to-day basis. That's right. That's- and my manager, like everybody chimed in, like those, not everybody, those few select people who I went to with that, yeah. with that question. And they were like, this is how we feel about it. And That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's there was also about- like a gut feeling too. That was that. Yeah. Right. You always know, right? Like deep yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. So you start going out more. Uh, are you, do you see a coach for auditions? Do you like, what are you doing these days before like bigger auditions? Cause you started to go out for bigger and bigger stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was about a couple, two, three years ago. I started really coaching very consistently. Like I was going at auditions a long time without coaching too much to my, um, my downfall. Uh, I definitely should have been coaching sooner. And so I was in class, I was coaching, uh, I was in class with Billy O'Leary I was coaching with um, Amy Deshaies, um, uh, and then I met Sarah. Uh, our, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Sam and I are talking about Sarah Mornell. She's um, been on the podcast twice. Uh, you can reference her episodes. <laughs> please do. It's gold. Um, uh, so then all of a sudden, now I had like this trifecta of coaching and guidance and teaching from these three people who I would consistently rotate around. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have any kind of qualms about whatever and like I know that these they're all cool about that um uh so I started to keep refining what I was learning from the three of them and putting it together and making it my own there was something about each of their processes that I responded really well to I love that I also like having a myriad of coaches in your back pocket that you can easily work with I think it's a great idea because you never know when someone's going to be free last minute stuff that's right that's great yeah Yeah. and then there was a fourth man um uh Ryan Mulkey uh who I coached with uh, last last uh, year as well during pilot season. So I had three big series regular auditions. I took those to Sarah and then they brought me back for something. And then my agent was like, Hey, there's this guy who you should coach with. And then um, that guy wasn't available because he doesn't coach privately anymore. And then he referred me to one of his um, teachers in his studio. And I went to Ryan and then Ryan helped me out with a couple of auditions last year as well. And then here I was feeling like I, I didn't feel like I was cheating on my teachers. I felt like I was gaining wisdom from all around. And yeah, I feel yeah, like, yeah. Like your acting talent and your skill should be a toolbox of different skills and different tools. And I feel like why shouldn't that come from your teachers as well? I love that. 
Uh, during this time, are you working side jobs like yeah. up until last year? Yeah, I was, uh, I've been a personal trainer for, well, for like almost eight years, seven, seven, eight years. And I had been working in West Hollywood at a, at a, at a gym there. And, um, that what was gym, like, the what gym did you work at? Crunch on sunset. We must've seen each other there. I went there for so long. Really? Yeah. I, I probably. Oh, I lost you. Are you there? That was good. All right. Yeah, no, I used to go to Crenshaw. I was there for a very long time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been, yeah, I, I, my, I had supportive friends who would be like, hey, Eddie, I can't wait for you to book something and quit here. And I was like, I'm probably going to have to, I'm probably going to die in this building. (laughs) I'm going, they're going to have to carry me out of here. Not, not so much that I wanted to stay, but just because I was like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very realistic. Like just, even if I book like a guest star, that doesn't mean I get to quit my job, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, no, so that's I, what I, like really to ask. I like to, cause you know, we highlight the acting stuff, but I think the at home day to day is so interesting. My, so I was, my training was going well up until a few years ago. And then the fire for training started to dwindle just a little bit. Not so much, I, not because I lost the passion for training, but because the opportunities for my, my auditions that were coming my way were so like luminous and the opportunities were so big that I was like, holy crap, these are make or break. Not not break, but like definitely it could make something big for you, um, kind of auditions. And then so I, you know, like I wouldn't book it, and I'd come back to work dragging my feet along as as one does going back to their survival job. But then my training business started to suffer because I just wasn't investing the same time like I was. The fire just wasn't there, like I said. And then um, then last year I started to pick up like some catering gigs here and there, like any little like one off jobs here and there, like that's what I would do. Yeah. So it was very, so last year I feel like was very much the atypical actor's life of like sprinting from huge life, possibly life changing audition. You don't get it. You have to swallow all of your whatever. And then you have to go to like, I, I catered at the Elton John party for the past couple of years, you know, like that was oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, that was very much me like going from extreme this to like hustle that, you know? How did you get ready for auditions in between jobs? Because there's something about having multiple jobs that just like gets tough (laughs) and then getting ready for auditions. So is it because you were coaching? Did you develop your own process to get ready for auditions? Um, My process was really wasn't terribly advanced. It was more so um, I wasn't making the same money as I was. So I didn't have the same money to spend on coaching. Yeah, it gets Um, expensive. It gets expensive. I used to coach a lot, a lot. And then, I, and then I got to the point where I was like, one, I can't afford it so much. Two, I think I'm also starting to figure it out for myself. And then my girlfriend would run line, runs lines for me for all of my, she would run lines for me with all my auditions. Like she would help me nice prep. List. And because there were, because there were a few that there were a handful of auditions where I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I need a coach for this one. I really feel like I got it. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's already me. I feel like I need to just refine and figure out just a couple of, not a couple, a few things in this audition that'll make it work. Would, would I have been better off coaching? It, fuck yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, but I started to make these like financially based decisions to not do that. And um, regarding having the multiple jobs thing, um, we we take as long as we take with any kind of deadline. And that was a really sloppy way of saying 
whatever time is given to us, that's how long it'll take for us to complete the task. And thankfully I was uh, auditioning at a frequent enough level where I would get like 12 hour turnarounds or 24 hour turnarounds on like series regular auditions. And you just find a way to just get it done. Like there comes to a point where, you know, no excuses. Now, keep in mind, there's a huge buffer area of if you really can't make it happen, if you know you're going to bring in a bad audition product, you really got to be vocal to your reps about asking for an extension of some kind, whether it's 12 hours, four hours, the next day, like feel free to, you got to, we got to, I think, I think as I became more of a pro actor, quote unquote, I started to see where I was able to, the lines I was able to push in terms of saying what I needed. Yeah. And as a greener actor, I did not see how that was a thing that I could do. I did not feel I had permission to ask for things that I needed. Yeah. Well, it's hard, right? You feel like you're not ready to take up space yet in someone else's world. Very much so. So let's talk about this past pilot season and let's talk well, about yeah. Yay! Let's talk Yay. about booking a pilot. Woo! What was your experience? Tell us about Kung Fu. Because it's so exciting. It was very straightforward in terms of the traditional, as far as traditional act, audition. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to take that again. <laughs> my, Kung Fu, my Kung Fu process was very straightforward as far as traditional audition processes go. Mm-hmm. It's CW, the, right? It's CW, uh, Jennifer Cooper Casting. Okay. They had already brought me in like a dozen times over the years for Hawaii Five-O and Magnum PI more recently. Um, and so they were already kind of familiar with me. And then I get this audition. I see that's Kung Fu. I hear through the grapevine that there are offers out to bigger people. I don't know if that's true. That's just, those are just rumors. And I just went into it like, I have nothing to lose. I know very clearly what kind of character this is. I see the archetype in my head. And I just, I was like, I don't know if I'm that guy because in my, upon the first read of the side and the script, I was like, this is kind of, I don't know how serious this could be. Like, based on what I know the CW, like, I don't know how, it seems like this is a pretty straightforward character in that he's very earnest and that he doesn't crack jokes is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I found spaces in between the lines to just make him funny. Cause I was like, okay, I, I, I can make him a little funny. I can make him a little bit more like me. Cause I know, I was like, I knew very well who were the other guys that could be reading and would be reading for this. And sure enough, they did. I found space in between the lines to bring my comedy and my essence, my whatever. Cause when you're auditioning for a series regular, you get more space to impose yourself on it as opposed to a co-star and guest star where you have to color inside their lines a little bit more as opposed to throwing your own goddamn paint all across the board and let them be like, Ooh, wow. What's the co- what color is this? Yeah. Um, I feel like you also have to build up, style. you have to build up confidence to get to the point where you can put more of yourself into a character. Yeah, my confidence is at an all-time high um, <laughs> because I'll tell you why. Because last year, in 2019, my pilot season, I had three series regular auditions. Not three. I had multiple series regular auditions, but I had three screen tests for series regular auditions. Wow. Three of them in a span of like four or five weeks. Bang, 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 week in, week out. Wow. I was signing deal memos. Knowing that another one was coming down the hatch, I was doing callbacks in between. Um, I didn't, I came number two on all three of them. What did that feel like? Cause that's so cool. Or was it just exhausting? It's, it was all of the above to be so close to see, to, to have the chance to like, I was auditioning for Michael Shore and you know, I was at NBC. I was at CBS. So in order, CBS, NBC, ABC coming number two on all of them. I felt like I was, 
like you're a fitness person, so you know that there's like sometimes you just cannot substitute the grit that comes with heavy lifting. Yeah. Like you cannot substitute substantial resistance training, like the strength that you build after that. Like there's no tricks, there's no belt, there's no weight thinner, there's no fit tee that can replace any of that crap. You yep. just got to get in and lift the goddamn weight sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's what this was. And I didn't get it. And I had a huge chip in my shoulder for a few weeks. And I had to just let myself process that, process that. Yeah. Feel my whatever. And just know that like, hey, man, like you're on, you're on the right track, even if right now you feel a little down about yourself. And so after that year, I had this confidence. I was like, okay, I've been, I've tested at this level and I've gotten, and I've lost the job. I know what that feels like. It could hurt again. I know it will, but at least I've been through it three times in one year. So that was my heavy lifting. And then I brought that in and that, that and one of the cast managers that brought me in for that pilot of from 2019 mm-hmm. brought me in for never have I ever. And they were very familiar with who I was and what I was doing. And they had, and it was just, it became easy for me to book never have I ever. It became easy for me to book Kung Fu because both of these guys, even though they're not the same characters, there was just something very, congruent between me the actor and the character on paper and i and i was able to impose and show and bring i had the confidence and and know-how and the strength to bring my own whatever to that and color outside the lines did it feel like both those roles never have i ever and kung fu did you feel like you booked it um i felt like i turned in a great audition okay I didn't because booking, I, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I know there's a lot of factors outside my, my control. Like do like maybe they have an offer out to a bigger name. Maybe they are looking for somebody else from whatever. And like, mm-hmm. but I felt like I turned in a really great audition and I put my thing down and I got up and left and I could walk away from it without regrets. That's how I felt in both auditions. That's awesome. So like just the purity of like, I did my thing. Great. What happens when you book a pilot and then you guys, did you, you shot the full pilot, right? No, we did not. We okay, were... great. Let's talk about pilot pandemic. <laughs> ah, great, great. Okay. Key topic here. Um, so we were up in Vancouver for uh, two weeks before we got shut down. Exactly two weeks to the day. Um, but as far as the actual episode shooting went, uh, four, we got into four days. Um, I worked two days on set. Okay. Which didn't include the actual pilot. Like we had a whole day of uh, hair and makeup and on camera tests that they were going to send to the network and let them approve all of our makeup and looks and all stuff. So that we include that. So actually technically five days of production, but um, four days of the actual script. Wow. After day, th- we were on set on day two. We were there when we heard that Tom Hanks and Reed Wilson tested positive for the virus. I remember that day too. That was, that was, that was, we, we felt sad. We were concerned um, for, because we all loved him, Tom Hanks and Reed Wilson. Um, then only a few hours later after lunch, we heard that the Riverdale set had been shut down because somebody in the cast had been in contact with somebody else who tested positive. If based on, I think that's what, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so yeah. then I started to get messages from friends back home. Like, Hey, are you guys still going? And then we were all like, um, we're full steam ahead as far as we know, I, I guess. And sounds like the craziest thing in the world to shut down a pilot shoot. It was completely surreal because here we are in Vancouver, which is remarkably safer than other parts of the world that were getting hit hard. Like based on what we were hearing, New York was getting apocalyptic. LA, New York was simply apocalyptic. LA was very close to, if not already, like it was, I heard it was scary. I heard it was scary. Yeah. So we felt like we were in a safe protective bubble. And I just kind of, I felt lucky 
I felt like I was in a bubble. And then after Thursday night, we did a full day. And then Friday morning, we got the call from all the our EPs and our showrunner and our, our episode, our pilot director, Hanali, was taking turns calling everybody down the list saying, hey, we just got word. Nobody in our crew is sick or cast is sick, but we're going to shut down because the higher-ups are just going to take that precaution. And we're un- officially on paper, we're going to take a two-week hiatus is what we were all told. Okay. We all knew it wasn't going to be two weeks, but that's just what the current order was. Yeah. Um, it was surreal. It was weird. I think it, it felt a little bit, I mean, for like a second, it felt like we were robbed for like a split second. But then I, it was remarkably, we were in remarkably high spirits on set. It's very hard to explain how we were in such a optimistic mood about like, hey, we're making a TV show, but there are way more important things happening right now. Like all of a sudden making a TV show just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just not as much. Like um, people are dying. Like that's really what, what it was. And, and and we knew that it was not a matter of if, but when we could convene. At this point, we didn't know if we were getting picked up. We didn't know if we could ever come back and finish, but we just felt good about it. And we just hung on to that hope and we didn't freak out about it. And we had a fantastic last day of shooting and we were able to make a sizzle reel out of it and uh, cool. send that to the network. And, uh, and then, and then we got ordered straight to series after that, like yeah. weeks later, like this was only recently, like, yeah, I remember later. when that got posted. So you, yeah. so you come home with a not even halfway done pilot after so much work to get to that point. Yeah. Did did you wonder if it was going to get dropped? Did you wonder, like, what were you just thinking about it all the time? I don't think I would have stopped thinking about it. My stress for the pilot really dwindled when I came home and saw, like, and felt all the death and pain that was happening around the world. Like, mm-hmm. people were reaching out to me, like, hey, like, I'm so sorry about your thing. I'm like, honestly, like, it's really okay. Like, I, I guess I could choose to be – I could be bitter about it, but I was – in an emotional place where I could choose not to be. And I didn't hang on to that sadness for just my little pilot. Cause most pilots couldn't go. Yeah. Most pilots couldn't shoot, let alone finish. Yeah. I, we're in a completely unprecedented, God, that word unprecedented. We're in a completely unique situation to the history of the world. Um, I wasn't going to sweat little old me and my little TV show for, for, for the time being, you know, yeah, I, I was like, that's I was, a very sustainable lifelong attitude. Yeah, I, I I was I was worried about you know where my money would come from in terms of like I got furloughed from my job at the gym. So going back to when I was kind of joking about them having to push me out rather than me quitting my survival job, I that's what happened. I didn't quit. They <laughs> furloughed me because because of the pandemic. Right, like, of course. Kind of funny how that happened. So you find out uh, what was it like a two a couple weeks ago now that the show got picked up. Yeah, it's been yeah just about. Two, maybe three-ish weeks. How'd you find out? And then what happens? I was... Uh, we as a cast have been talking amongst ourselves, and we were predicting, and we had set an arbitrary deadline to find out about getting picked up based on when upfronts were supposed to be, and it was right around that week. And so we used that as a marker. We're like, well, if upfronts are supposed to be this day, well, they should figure it out by then, right? Like, we were, we were making it up 
like we didn't know what we were talking about, but we <laughs> used that as a marker for like, it's also so-and-so's birthday and it's uh, this person's birthday. So obviously we should find out about that. We were kind of doing that like LA manifesting thing. It feels like a really good group text. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a really positive supportive group text. It has been all this time, thankfully. Uh, it's a really, we're a really close knit group. It's nuts how fortunate we are to have this group of people together to be po- uh, optimistic and positive and like, yeah. you know, supportive. I was in the park the day that we found out I was in the park with my girlfriend. We were doing boxing pad work mm-hmm. and um, I get, the, I in between like during a water break, I'm holding pads for, for my girlfriend. And then I check my phone real quick and I see that I've missed a call and a voicemail from the showrunner, from the boss lady. And I was like, Oh shit, this is, this is something. I don't know what it is, but I have a feeling. And then I called her right back. It was a five minute, no, it was like a two minute phone call. And she's like, Hey, I have some exciting news. Um, we've been picked up a series. Oh, congratulations. And, um, that's how I found out. I was just in the park working out, just doing my thing. And, you know, um, and then I called a few people right after that. My manager, my parents, like my agents, they all knew. And then they said, um, well, don't post anything on social media um, just yet because they want to do their announcement themselves. I was like, okay, cool. Like, just let me know. What they're like, um, they're like, wait till after 1.30 to before you post anything, sometime after that. And then <laughs> within the half hour after we hung up, it's everywhere. And I'm getting all kinds of messages from people. And, and then my phone was blowing up. And, and then my girlfriend was like, do, do you want to? take that like do you want to I was like no no no. it's gonna wait like I need I need this 15-20 minutes with you like I need to move I need to throw some punches just to stay in my own safe space under this tree while I still can before the next 48 hours go nuts right 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 oh god did you celebrate what did you do that's so so awesome I think I think we got like burgers or something I had (laughs) myself some I had some whiskey um I kept it kind of low-key I was remarkably calm about it uh, my castmates, we, cause we were all texting and we were all congratulating, so happy for each other. Um, uh, a couple of my castmates, they were saying, they're like, I'm still crying. I'm so like, they're just ecstatic, like so emotional. And for me, I, I was oddly calm about it. I think maybe it's because there came a point a few weeks ago where I just decided we were getting picked up. I'm like, this is what's happening. It's not that I'm going to be in denial if it doesn't happen. And I, and I wouldn't have been surprised either. Because maybe they could have argued, well, we don't have enough footage. We don't, we can't shoot because it's a pandemic. Like I was open to all possibilities. And so when this one came, when our great outcome came, I was just ready for it. Awesome. Have you guys done any uh, like online table reads? Is there anything going on for you right now for prep wise? As far as prep goes, uh, I'm just training on my own. Like I met up with one of my castmates, uh, the, we're, we're doing socially distant training in the park and cool. getting ready. Um, I have, you have to, a lot of like stunt work and stuff in the, in the, we're going to have to fight. Yeah. We're going to have to fight in the show and there's going to be, I mean, it's, it's called Kung Fu. So right. we, gotta, we, we know we have our work cut out for us, but I'm so confident in, in us and our stunt team. I think, I think when you have an amazing stunt coordinator and a second unit to, uh, work with like when we got to Vancouver like the team that was with us they were phenomenal and fantastic and such kind talented people that we we're like oh shit like we're in really good hands like we need to do of course we're going to put in the work but like we're also in good hands so I have like some resources I have my home I got a 
you know, I got to dig up my, I, I used to train a long time ago and now I'm just finding this fun opportunity to dust off my old Kung Fu forms and like throw some kicks and punches and old traditional more um Chinese aesthetic movements. Cool. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's what I have going for me now is just getting physically and mentally ready and, you know, all the things that come with, uh, it looks like we're moving to Vancouver. So I, I, it's very likely that we'll keep shooting there. So, um, you know, that's what we've been getting ready for. Cool. Do you, yeah. uh, do they have like a, have they given you a maybe like we might start in September kind of a thing yet? Cause I know they announced the season won't air until January. Yeah. Um, sometime in 2021, we don't, we're not exactly sure when, um, and they've given us loose guesstimates, but we also know very well that everything is super TBD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, get ready now and just be ready. Stay ready. That's it. <laughs> it feels appropriate for the life of an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much. I, you know, it's kind of funny how all those dominoes that knocked down years ago, um, things find a way to, uh, uh, duplicate and repeat itself and you know it's like that saying goes like how you do anything is how you do everything I am not a great reflection of that because I have been lazy in my past I have been a, I'm a huge I'm a serial procrastinator and I think some of that procrastination has to do with being afraid of failure being afraid of success even to a certain extent like I think that's something we all have to reconcile within ourselves um, but the more you run towards what scares you and the more you find grounded small practical steps to take towards those big grand goals, um, the better off, you know, you can be towards moving in that forward direction. Mm, that's a beautiful sound clip. And if I wasn't ha- having you one more question for you, I would end it. With that, but I have one more. <laughs> I want to know, I want to know if you could talk to actors right now, there's a bunch of actors who moved to LA like six months ago and they're stuck in a Mm -hmm. business that they can't really play in. There's nothing much for them to do right now. What advice would you give someone who is just kind of in a holding pattern right now? Um, first off, I, I'm, I'm gutted for you that things didn't turn out the way that you wanted to and that things didn't go the way you had planned. However, that being said, um, I think that because of things like the internet and, because information and resources are being digitized and presented to you in a podcast or Zoom format where you can download things and watch things. Um, I think that's something to jump on. Uh, I think that there, at this point, because the industry is at a standstill, there's nothing but opportunities in front of you. I would also really practice hard and I've had to do this myself and, you know, I've started looking into the law of attraction over the past few years and trying to change my framing. And I don't mean I'm clutching my crystals and just saying this will happen out loud. And all of a sudden it happens. What I mean is really practicing, changing your frame of mind in terms of saying, I get to do this. I get to do that. Not I'm stuck here. I'm stuck there. Or, you know, woe is me. Um, because that is a, the power of inertia is very, is, is very, um, there very present i don't know i'm trying to say that there is inertia so create force behind a thought focus on a thought focus on a single action that you can build upon the fact that the industry is at a standstill i think is really an advantage to you because no one is getting ahead right now yeah there's no race being had right now look at me i'm stuck at home oh that's like let's see there there we go let me change my framing (laughs) i'm safe at home truly i am in the best place i could be i'm not an essential worker I'm not 
in the medical field. I'm not risking my life to save people right now. I have it really freaking good. That comes with a long line of habits and routines and, and movements that you can make along the way where I'm not the best person at creating habits, but I do recognize when push comes to shove, something needs to be done and I will make something happen. I will pull a, a, an illusion or a, a magic trick out of my ass and I'll make it happen. But start small. Um, like I said, I, I know things aren't, didn't go the way that you planned, but like you can still practice taping at home. You can still, um, read things. I'm, I mean, I'm not a great reader, but I'm more of a watcher. So mm -hmm. find content online to consume. Um, there's so much there. Um, change the way you watch content. All those shows that you were, that are, that are on your list, all those movies, watch them a different way. Watch how the co-stars operate. Watch how the guest stars feed information to the leads to get that script from point A to point B. Watch, watch procedural television. There's a mechanism at work here right before your eyes. People kind of poo-poo on procedural dramas and network stuff just because maybe it's not always the freshest, most original stuff you've ever seen. People say that's a little bit repetitive. Yeah, there's a reason for that. There's a formula in that the way we watch it that brings us back to that again, again like a law and order. So watch the co-stars and the guest stars and the series regulars and see how they operate. Look at the lighting, look at the music, look at the way they shoot things. Like pay attention to that stuff. Like that stuff is at our disposal right now and eat that shit up. And if, and if you're feeling sad and feeling down, like let yourself feel that. Don't be in denial about your sadness, like process that and do things to take care of yourself. That's what I've found to be a big help for me is taking care of myself. Yeah. My health, my fitness, you know, my emotional well-being. be responsible for that just as much as you are for everything else. Mm, I think that's really great advice and a really great place to leave our podcast for today. Amazing. That was awesome. Eddie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This, this is a, a career goal that I can check off my list right here. I, Stop it. I shit you not. Yeah, I shit you not. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Eddie, thank you so much for giving me such a happy episode to deliver to the world this week. I am so excited to watch your career expand and grow. You guys should be too. You should definitely check out his work and you should follow him because... Eddie's, uh, Eddie's going to be blowing up, y'all. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please keep an eye on the One Broke Actress Instagram because we're going to pop out some new shit soon. Anybody want a book club? Anybody want a newsletter? I got the time. Let's do it. Let's uh, expand our human experience, shall we? This podcast was created and hosted by Sam Valentine with production help from Laurel Canyon Creative, and our theme song is by the glorious Maggie Zabo. Thank you guys so much, and I will talk to you next week.